0: It's Monday, March 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, gents! Hey, hey! Same to you! So, I'm the only one who stayed up to the end of the Academy Awards? I'm the only one looking <laughs> yes, mainlining so. more yeah, coffee so. than <laughs> <that> <laughs> usual? I was
1: up just not watching that. Yeah. I guess. Just, uh, seemed like it was a long-drawn-out affair. It, al- it always is. Yeah, it always is. Uh, I mean, that's the problem. They like, suck me in every <laughs> time. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen any of the movies that are like getting all of the buzz this no year. I started thinking about that. Like, the only time I go to the movies anymore is, is when I go with the kids, which is fine. I actually really enjoy taking them. So, but, but. All of my time watching anything video related, it's just it's the TV series that are on Netflix or Amazon Mm -hmm. or HBO or whatever. I mean, just movies. It's it's tough tough for them to hold a candle to to the quality of TV that's out there today.
0: some of Jimmy Kimmel's jokes early in the telecast uh, had to do with how much money hand over fist Black Panther is making. Oh, yeah. Which <laughs> was just, you know. Hi ho, Disney. Yeah, yeah, it came out at one point and was just like, uh, yeah, it, it, in the last 15 minutes, uh, you know, Black Panther has made another $17 million. <laughs> um, all right, we got, a, we got a few things to get to. We're the meal kit industry is getting far more interesting than i ever thought it would but we're we're going to get to that in a second but we got to start with wells fargo because the challenges just keep piling up <laughs> and when i say challenges maybe i should say self-inflicted wounds because the us justice department has ordered wells fargo to conduct an investigation of its wealth and investment management business and this is based on reports that wells fargo is pushing financial products and services that are not the best fit for their customers they're geared towards hmm. greater compensation <laughs> for the bank and jason this is just one more one more brick in the wall For me, that the most interesting thing at the upcoming Berkshire Hathaway meeting is going to be the questions that Warren Buffett gets about Wells Fargo.
1: Yeah, this has been pretty fascinating. It's like they're they're walking along and they step in dog poo, and then they turn around and walk the other direction. Step on a rake, right? I mean, just no matter what they do, they can't quite they can't quite get it right. Um, And so it's easy in, in the here and now to be very critical of what they're doing, and we should be. Ultimately, I think Wells Fargo is going to be just fine because it's very easy to replace leadership and board members. It's far more difficult for a competitor to get in there and try to gain meaningful share on a bank this size. Let's just think about it from the very perspective of just regulatory barriers. I mean, just for a competitor to actually get in there. So then, with the banks that are already established and competing, well, I mean, banking relationships tend to be pretty sticky. I mean, in this day and age, you have a lot of stuff that's automatically debited from your checking account. Your checking account is tied to your credit card or your savings account. Sort of all of this stuff is married mm-hmm. together, so the switching costs are just so brutal. I mean, it's just nobody really wants to actually go through all of that trouble just on principle. Uh, so I think that yeah, I mean, it's it's something where um, I remember working in the banking industry in, in the in the wealth management side. A lot of times, it seemed like the incentives, the bonuses, were tied to seemingly arbitrary accounts, whether or not they were for you know, whether or not they were in the best interest of the customer. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like what could be going on here. I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to be okay, and Wells Fargo will recover. But I, I would like to see someone hold Buffett's feet to the fire just to get his perspective.
2: Yeah, and I think their foreign exchange business is going to be uh, under investigation too. Um, so. Yet another uh, potential domino to fall there. and But you don't see other banks pointing fingers. So yeah. <laughs> maybe they're like, oh, we're going to stay out of this just in yeah. case we have something going on behind our closed doors. Uh, you're a bank that big, something's probably going awry, at least to some
0: degree. Oh, yeah. There's no question that if you're running, if you're Bank of America or Citigroup yeah. or any of these other outfits, and you're seeing this news, if you're not already. One hundred percent confident about how buttoned up your business mm-hmm. practices are. Yeah, you're absolutely spreading the word. You're doing at, some quality checks. Yeah, you're <laughs> y- yes, yeah. Channel checks. Uh, somewhat related to this, I guess, is Amazon. Once again, <laughs> looking around the world of business and mm-hmm. saying, "Well, what else can we get into?" And now it's this uh, report in the Wall Street <laughs> Journal that Amazon is talking to J.P. Morgan Chase, among others about offering checking accounts. And when I first saw just the headline of it as a longtime Amazon shareholder, I was just shaking my head, saying, no, no, (laughs) don't do this, don't do this. I've I've walked back from that, uh, having actually looked beyond the headline and seeing that Amazon, at least now anyway, is not looking into Turning itself into a bank or starting a bank, they're looking more. If I understand this correctly, Jason, they're looking more at sort of an Amazon-branded checking account product.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's what it is. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the barriers to entry in this line of work are just really, really high. Um, you got to go through a lot to become a bank, a banking, a bank holding company, and, and then you have to really develop the credibility in the space to grow a meaningful and profitable customer base. Now, Amazon has a meaningful and profitable customer base already. Um, and I think that's why this could make sense. I mean, considering a checking account on on the surface, it may seem a little weird, but let's think about it beyond us here at this table. This isn't something I think that is necessarily meant for us as much as it's meant for the younger demographics that are coming up uh, in the workforce and looking to start a banking relationship that they haven't you know, established yet. Uh, the switching costs that I mentioned before with Wells Fargo that are in play for us, well, those switching costs don't exist if you don't have a banking account. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be where they're looking at the real opportunity and saying, hey, this is for those millennials or even younger. uh, If we could offer something that is very customer-centric, which obviously Amazon is, um, if we can do something and partner up with a credible banking partner, it sounds like they're talking to JP Morgan, certainly Jeff Bezos and Jamie Dimon. There's a relationship there as well. Uh, it, it is something that. Hey, we're that getting could... into healthcare <laughs> together. Let's yeah. talk yeah. about yeah. checking. Yeah, that yeah. help can them pay do? for it along the way, too, right? So, I mean, it, it makes sense from that perspective. And they probably look at that switching cost factor and think, you know, that's working against us right now. But perhaps for that younger demographic, we could use that to our advantage and build up, uh, you know, a base of of banking customers that over the course of the next 40 to 50 mm-hmm. years, you know if you reel someone in and have them in your sort of your banking relationship, that can be a very profitable venture over long periods of time.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I saw a survey last week that uh, over half, it was only 1,000 people that were surveyed, but they were all Prime members. And over half of them said that they would utilize some kind of Amazon cryptocurrency like Amazon Coin to buy products on Prime. And 45% said they would consider using them as a banking option. Yeah. And that was just released last week. Granted, it was only 1,000 people,
1: but. Well, yeah, I mean, they've already experimented with Amazon Coin to some extent, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was something that they offered. They may still offer it, I'm not sure, but you could buy apps or stuff with Amazon Coin. Um, another, another sort of dynamic to that is if you have the Amazon Prime Visa credit card, mm-hmm. yep. uh you get the cash rewards, and then you can actually buy stuff on Amazon just using those cash rewards. So uh they, they have some experience in this uh market and, and I mean who knows whether they actually will pursue this, but if they do, I think it's at least reasonable to to give them a shot at it. Yeah.
0: As I mentioned before, the the business of meal kits. Is getting more interesting. Walmart announced today that it is launching meal kits at more than 2,000 locations by the end of this year. They have already been testing this in about 250 locations, and shares of Blue Apron down about five percent. <laughs> five more news. percent. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Thank you. Five more percent. Uh, Kroger is apparently testing a concept like this and yeah. I think this is because we've talked before about blue apron and just how troubled that particular business is but I think we've always thought there is something here there is some type of business here and we're just not really sure what or maybe it's just me mm-hmm. but the fact that Walmart has been testing this in a couple hundred locations, and they feel good enough with the results that they're going to roll this out, I don't know. I feel like they they may have hit upon a model that is better than Blue Aprons, in part because uh, there's less friction in terms of actually getting the products. You know, part of this with uh, with Walmart is you can assemble kits when you show up. Mm-hmm. You can order them online, online, and then just pick them up when, mm-hmm. when you go. I don't know. It, it it seems it seems easier from the consumer standpoint than Blue Aprons.
2: Well, that and from Walmarts, because you're not delivering it to folks. People are automatically coming to your store to do their regular shopping, and then they just, hey, you know, I want a quick fix for dinner tonight. And they're selling it for up to half off from what you can get from Blue Apron. They're talking about meals ranging for two people from $8 to $15. Blue Aprons is like $9 or $10 a person. Um, and and So, you're automatically cheaper, and you're at the, the point of sale where People are already coming to you, anyways. And I, I just think it's uh, almost a no brainer if they're talking about just implementing the rotisserie chickens that they're already making and then selling accompanying items that you can then use that chicken to turn it into a, a full on meal rather
0: than just the chicken itself. Well, and more than half their annual sales. Jason come under the food umbrella.
1: Yeah, I mean Walmart is one of the biggest yeah. uh, perhaps it is the biggest grocer in in, in the US market which I think a long. lot of people yeah they don't really think about mm-hmm. that but but it is it is impressive actually when you look at what they've been able to do with their grocery offering. I think these offerings all make perfect sense mm-hmm. for a company like Walmart or Kroger or Whole Foods slash Amazon, because they're natural complements to something that they already do. Um, they have the experience, the distribution, the supply chain management, they have the established business with customers and data already. Um, so, all of that investment has already been made. And, and they're very financially healthy and profitable businesses, whereas Blue Apron is an extremely new business, focusing mm-hmm. on one particular aspect, and that's meal meal delivery. Um, but but they have to acquire customers. They have to build out loyalty, the infrastructure, um, you know, and they have to get customers coming back for more and more and more, uh, which is just going to be more difficult for them than those other more established uh, players. And I think we're seeing that play out on Blue Apron stock price.
0: Do you see any value in Blue Apron <laughs> from this standpoint? From this standpoint, do you see that company getting to the point where? Uh, someone comes in and says, "Well, well," and obviously, someone—whether it's Amazon or Walmart or whoever—someone could buy Blue Apron at the right price if it got low enough. But I'm not going to
1: get much lower, Chris. <laughs>
0: I'm just curious what what is the greatest value right now because we we've seen this with other primarily tech business where businesses where you could say, "Okay, look, this business is troubled, but there is value there in the patents that they own yeah. or something like that." What is the greatest value? that you see right now with blue apron. And I'm not sure if it's the customer list. If I, I I have no idea.
2: Yeah, I mean I would say probably the customer list, but if you're like an Amazon or somebody that already has a much larger customer list and you can roll this out, like all you need is a few industrial sized kitchens scattered around the country or wherever you want to implement this and then find some delivery drivers, which doesn't seem to be that hard with Uber Eats and all Grubhub and everybody delivering food already from restaurants. So I don't see too much of an ingrained uh, advantage there. Yeah,
1: I think maybe six months ago, I would have said the brand. And I mean, today I'll I'll probably go with that, the brand, but with this caveat that I I think that position has weakened Mm -hmm. um, a lot over the past uh, few months. And I I think that, I mean, you, you mentioned tech and a good sort of comparable there. You remember a company called Leapfrog that made like these educational tech toys for kids, but they kind of got stuck in the middle there with. Amazon and Apple offering all of this same kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So so consumers just didn't even have to take that step with leapfrog. They just you know automatically went straight to Apple or Amazon. I think with with uh, <clears throat> with blue apron, This I kind of see the same thing playing out here. I mean, I think that as days go by, that brand becomes less and less valuable. Leapfrog, I think, was eventually acquired for something like a dollar a share. Maybe someone decides the brand is worth rolling in there, but they're not going to be paying a premium for it. I think Blue Apron would be stuck in a position where they're more of a desperate seller. Speaking of desperate,
0: (laughs) things are uh, maybe they're not desperate at Snap, but they're. uh, Let's just say that the bar is getting higher for, the, for Evan Spiegel and the people at Snap. Uh, Snap is, is dealing with some employee morale problems after a rough first year in the public markets, and I don't think that figures to get any easier now that Snap has announced their foregoing employee bonuses. Because of how rough the first year has been, and on top of that, Jason, you've got executives who are really starting to
1: flee this ship mm-hmm. yep, these guys are making it really, <laughs> really easy to not like them. I mean, they are just not they man they just talk about banks stepping in it. I mean these guys seem to be stepping in it every day too. I mean, Spiegel pulled in close to six hundred and fifty million dollars last year, which is apparently the third highest payout in. Ever for a CEO. Now we understand employees aren't going to be receiving cash bonuses based on uh, missing internal benchmarks that, by the way, weren't even <laughs> declared displaced. to the employees. The, yeah. the employees had no idea what the benchmarks were. They were internally set, but no one knew what they were other than leadership. And so you don't know whether you're going to miss it or hit it until you're told. Uh, flying blind, just isn't really a, a good way to build morale, and, and
2: or to encourage your employees to do what you want them to. Right? Well, like yeah, there's no incentive because you don't know where to spend your time.
1: And, and according to to people close to this matter, I mean, uh, Evan Spiegel doesn't like it when employees come and challenge his thinking. Now, now, I mean, whether that is the case or isn't the case, because again, this is just what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. I don't know these guys, and I've never seen them, met them, don't work with them. But whether that is true or not, the perception at least is there. And perception is reality to a certain extent. So, I mean, from the outside looking in, this really looks like a miserable place to work. And one could also say that this move to becoming a camera company. Uh, is going to present more challenges at least in the near term than opportunities because I, I there's no way snap becomes a profitable company anytime soon I mean you're looking at probably 2020 or later mm-hmm. I don't know how long the market's going to string this thing along and I, I'm, I'm floored that the market still gives the stock the credit that it gives it today um yeah'm I'm, I'm a bit confounded here <laughs> yeah well,
2: one big earnings release in February yeah. and the stock took off and they've almost that, given and, that all back yeah, too. yeah mm-hmm.
0: Well, and that's the thing that is, in some ways, the most surprising thing about Snap is the fact that it is still a twenty-two billion dollar company. When you look at their market cap, Uh, again, I go back to the executives leaving because, as you said, Jason, big story in Bloomberg last week: employees are quoted off the record, that sort of thing. And let's just say that the, for the sake of argument, that the truth lies somewhere in between. Some. Are are being completely accurate and objective about Evan Spiegel Mm -hmm. and the way he runs that company, and others maybe they have an axe to grind, that sort of thing. So that's one thing. It's another thing altogether when people, uh, as we like to say, vote with their feet. Mm -hmm. The fact that you have uh, at least five vice presidents who have left that company, mm -hmm. the general counsel left that company.
2: Engineering, sales, and product like, yeah, the works.
0: Yeah. And, and, uh, You know, I was reminded when you when you were talking about. I I didn't realize his compensation was that high. I knew it was high. I didn't realize it was that high. Uh, But you reminded me of uh, Jack Dorsey at Twitter when when he walked back in the door, or very soon after he walked back in the door to take the CEO job there. Didn't he come out and uh, basically do the opposite of what's happening that snap and just <laughs> yeah? Like, he, didn't he, he, he gave like he gave took A- his stock award and he distributed mm-hmm. that yeah. to the yeah. employees. Yeah, uh,
1: it was it was I think something in the, somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe was it two hundred million dollars in in shares that he owned that he gave back to the employee pool. Which uh, I mean, listen, you can sit there and say that guy has more money than God. So two hundred million wasn't really any drop in the bucket from anyone, anyway, man. Two hundred million dollars is two hundred (laughs) million dollars. Okay, but but from a leadership perspective, you're right. I mean, I think it sets the tone. It tells you a lot about him. And and I've you know I've always said. I mean, I I think Jack Dorsey is is one of the better CEOs out there. And, And I think over the past couple of years, you know, people have sort of questioned that. But one of the things that kind of led me to that conclusion was that you see the steps that he's taking. you see the fact that he doesn't bow to uh, to Wall Street sort of near-term expectations. He's He's very focused on surrounding himself with with good people, good leaders and I think he's done that for the most part with Twitter and with Square. and, and so you see a guy giving he's a good person, I think is what I'm ultimately getting at and, and I, I think that typically good people, uh, you want to be invested with those type, types of leaders. And, and Dorsey strikes me as one of those. Evan Spiegel, I, I don't know. The jury's still out, obviously. I think that the, the quick common sense test you have to take with Snapchat, from an investor's perspective, is you go to any website and you see their social presence. You see Facebook, Instagram, you see Twitter, sometimes YouTube. You never see Snapchat. Mm -hmm. Maybe one time out of 100 you do. And and I think that is because of the core purpose that the app serves. Because if you think about it, you also don't see Messenger, you don't see WhatsApp. They're all messaging apps. Mm -hmm. So, the core purpose is what really presents a big challenge for Snapchat, for for Snap, as far as becoming a, a, a meaningful business that that can drive long long term success there so they have to become something else they're going to try to become a camera company i don't know that that's going to work out really well for them they're apparently trying this spectacles 2.0 and perhaps 3.0 reboot you know, I mean, I that that just there are a lot of challenges ahead, and it just seems like the market is really assuming that they're going to succeed, and I think there are enough questions to to think they might not.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're hard, having a hard enough time doing what they ipo IPO'd for, and yeah. then they're going to have to go out and hire to make these glasses possible. Because you're talking about an app product versus a physical product, a consumer good, it's totally different, and it's going to a lot of road, excuse me, a lot of roadblocks, I think, out there.
0: I think there's a really good chance that a year from now, whether they have increased their market cap or their market cap is cut by a third, there's a really good chance we're going to look back and point to the moment when Kylie Jenner came out (laughs) and said, I'm deleting this thing. I hate the new version. and. (laughs) One and a half billion came off their market. That's that is going to be seen as a significant Mm milepost in the next twelve months.
1: Another good example. I mean, everybody came out saying they hate this update, and I mean, like you just the venom on Twitter was just relentless. And, And instead of getting out there and saying, "Hey, you know what? Yeah, maybe we screwed up, and we understand our users don't like this. We're gonna we're gonna go in there and try to fix this." I mean, he takes the position that, hey, your complaints basically validate our changing, you know the experience in the first place. To me, that just is extremely tone deaf and not in touch with the people. You're trying to serve. It's the opposite of Patrick Doyle, CEO of Domino's Pizza, a, yeah. de- a decade ago,
0: coming out and saying, "You know what? Our pizza's not that great. <laughs> Doesn't taste that great,
1: and we're going to work on that." <laughs> that's we- that's ex- a great example.
0: <laughs> All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Show is mixed by Austin Morgan, pulling double duty today between this and Industry Focus. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.